Okay, what a great, great morning it has been so far because it is Pentecost Sunday, as we've heard. And I just want to take a couple minutes to remind us of what that was all about uh, in Scripture, in the Bible. Pentecost, it was a festival that was ordained by God. It was, in a, it was to celebrate the grain harvest. And Pentecost, uh, it occurred 50 days after the Passover. And that's where the, the word comes from, Penta 5. So uh, Pentecost, it's 50 days after Passover. That Passover was another celebration. Passover was a feast again that was ordained by God. And what was that all about? It was all about liberation. It was all about salvation. God said, celebrate this Passover forever because he had passed over the uh, Hebrew people. None of them died on this night in Egypt where the firstborn died. They were saved. And afterwards, the people were liberated from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And God said, celebrate this, this day with what he called the Passover celebration, which included a sacrificial lamb. And so it's no coincidence, no coincidence at all that our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and he died on Passover. He was the final Passover lamb. He was the sacrifice given for all, paid the penalty we owed for our sin, for, for our rebellion against God. Jesus Christ paid our debt, which is why we can be free from bondage when we celebrate Jesus Christ, when we receive him into our life, believe, receive, and are baptized. That's uh, salvation. He is our true living Passover. Fifty days later came Pentecost, celebration of the harvest. No coincidence again that this was the day the spirit of the living God was poured out onto people. It was harvest time. The church was born. It's a beautiful thing. And in Acts chapter 1, we're told there was 120 people, a very small very small, dedicated, sincere group of disciples, followers of Jesus Christ who had gathered in a room to pray because Jesus had promised that there would be the outpouring, the giving of the Holy Spirit. So there they were. They were waiting and they were praying, these 120. And you can read that in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. It says there was about 120 of them and they were gathering to pray. When Acts chapter 2 opens up, tells us what occurred. And I want to read to you the first six, chapter, uh, six verses from Acts chapter 2 that tell about this great Pentecost day. And it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Jews from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem. Why? For this Pentecost festival. So there they were. And when this group of uh, people, Jews from every nation, when they heard this sound, which was... The, the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. 
because each one heard their own language being spoken. This is the beginning of the church. It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A bewildered crowd gathered, and they heard the great follower of Jesus. His name was Peter. He began to preach, and Peter preached, repent, turn from your wicked ways. Believe that Jesus died for you. He's your true and living Passover. He is your salvation. Those people understood that. They had come from all nations under heaven to celebrate the Passover. They had been there 50 days earlier to, cele or, or to celebrate Pentecost. They had been there earlier for the Passover. They were devout. They understood this. When he's talking about salvation, they knew. And 3,000 of them turned their lives over to Jesus Christ that very day. They were believers. They were baptized. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were saved like the Israelites who had been saved by the very hand of God and brought out of Egypt. And their punishment for sin was now taken because they believed on Christ. Believe, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. That promise that was given to those 120 who were waiting, that promise stands today. It stands today for every single person who would turn their heart and life over to Jesus Christ. They can be filled with the living Spirit of God. And that is an amazing, wonderful blessing that is just unimaginable. It can't even comprehend it. And the New Testament, it hits it over and over and over again. This infilling of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament writers, they wrote all about it. The New Testament is chock full of the Holy Spirit filling people. It's an amazing thing. The New Testament writers, they wrote things like this. I just share some phrases with you from the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. These were written by the Apostle Paul, by the Apostle John. It is God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The Spirit you received, again, coming in. The Spirit you received brought about your being adopted as children of God. That's beautiful. The Spirit testifies with your spirit. God sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart. They reiterate that over and over, these, these writers in the New Testament, have your mind governed by the Spirit which is within you. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit which is in you whom you have received from God. Over and over, the New Testament is filled with this. Why? Because Christian life is Holy Spirit life. It is life. The, the, the writers of the New Testament just presumed, if you were Christian, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have talked about the Holy Spirit for much of this year. And if you've been here, you've, you know that. And if you're visiting, it's, it's been a theme since early uh, in this year, we've been covering the Holy Spirit. And we, we could go months. It, it stands to reason because the New Testament is so full of the Spirit of God indwelling Christian believers. The Holy Spirit is part and parcel to all of our Christian life. There's all kinds of aspects to our Christian life. But one, one important aspect of our Christian life is prayer communicating with God, talking with God. The Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us in prayer. Whether it's corporate prayer like we're here today where uh, one person's leading a prayer and with our hearts we all join in. Whether it's a small group time of prayer, uh, a prayer meeting. Whether it's individual prayer, the Holy Spirit is 
in us, to help us, to lead us in our prayer. And sometimes, I know, we struggle with prayer. Some have even used words, the, the words of Jesus, to say, ah, I, don't need, I shouldn't even pray. Now, where in the Bible would anyone find the words of Jesus where they could say, ah, I don't need to pray? Well, I'll give you this example, and it's been used to say, maybe I shouldn't pray at all. And it's in Matthew chapter 6. Now, if, you, if you've been around here a while, last summer we, we spent months in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this great, great teaching of Jesus, practical teaching. And in this great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, he talks about prayer. I want to share with you two verses, 7 and 8 from Matthew 6. Jesus on prayer. And Jesus said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, some have read this and said, well, wow, I bother praying. Well, the Lord already knows what I need. Why should I bother praying? Jesus even said it. God knows what you need before you ask him. So is Jesus saying, don't pray? Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, if you just keep reading, I read verses 7 and 8. Verse number 9, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And then what did he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I could go on. We know it's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer immediately after saying, God knows what you need before you ask. Well, what was his point? His point was, don't pray like the pagans. They babble and they babble. Your father knows what you need before you ask, so pray simply. Pray directly. You don't need to babble. God knows your need before you ask. But he desires, God desires that we would ask. And Jesus, far from discouraging prayer, he was encouraging prayer. He, he taught this great Lord's Prayer, and it's not a prayer of babbling. Because our Father in heaven already knows our need. He already knows what we will ask. His desire is for us to ask why. So that we express our, our continual, our ongoing, our ever-present, complete dependence on him who can and will satisfy every single one of our needs as followers of Jesus. And, and that, what does that mean? Children of God. As children of God, let's have it that it's constant and habitual, being impressed on our heart that our Heavenly Father is the one who supplies every one of our needs. And this is where we can say, you know, Holy Spirit, help us. We can rely on the Spirit within us to remind us of that, that God is the giver of everything. He supplies every one of our needs. God is the giver of everything. He is the giver of life. He gives us the breath in, the, in our lungs, the air that we breathe. He makes the grass to grow. He makes the, the trees to, to grow. He gives Food for the cattle. He gives crops for people. He makes uh, rivers flow. God, he has set the, the sun to shine. 
the rain to fall. He, he keeps everything rotating in space and the seasons to change. And God does all of this. And I, I'm, I'm not even giving it hardly any justice. Read Psalm 104. I've just given you the briefest of paraphrases of Psalm 104 that says this in a nutshell. God gives everything to everything. He gave oxygen to hydrogen to make water. God, he, he did. He gives everything to everything. Psalm 104 declares it over and over so beautifully. And then that, that psalm, it concludes with, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. While God continues to give me that air that I breathe, I will sing praise to the Lord as long as I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Why will I be glad in the Lord? Because he's given me everything. He is God over all. But sometimes we want to take credit ourselves. Sometimes we want to be the one who gets credit for filling a need. We'd rather be self-reliant than God-reliant. And that's when it's important for the, the Holy Spirit to be active in our lives and for us to be discerning the guiding and the direction of the Holy Spirit. So that instead of being self-sufficient, we are led by the Holy Spirit to be God-sufficient. That we have the Spirit in us to help us and to, to remind us to continually express our complete and our utter reliance on God who supplies everything and will meet every need. It's why our God would want us to ask. And you know what? Sometimes that's the way a good earthly father is too. They know what a child needs. A good father might know what a son or a daughter needs before that son or daughter asks, but sometimes wants that son or daughter to ask. And what does that do? It, it expresses the dependence of the child and the love of the father to respond. And it's true with us. In, in other situations, too, sometimes we have a need, sometimes others have a need, we know it, but yet we just, we, we want to be asked. And so this morning on this, this Pentecost Sunday, I, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. I'm going to ask you as a congregation, as this church, for needs you already know, you already know. And so many of you have been so faithful. You've been extremely, extremely stalwart, faithful to meeting the needs of this church. And it, it's a great thing. And I, along with all the leaders of the church, the whole pastoral staff, we know and appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, I, can just, I can go back a couple of years where one time, I just brought it up one time, uh, that our infrastructure was in need. Our, our, our heating and ventilation and our roofs and, and parking lots. And you know what? Our building fund just, whoosh, it, it increased dramatically. One time, just to, just, to, just to mention it and to ask. And so I know the faithfulness. But today, I just, it's a reminder. It's an ask and it's a reminder. And I have a couple of things. Over, of course, the past year, we know things, costs have gone up. They've risen and over the last few months dramatically, dramatically. I drove by the gas station, 519 today. Whoosh, yeah. So uh, we know, we know costs have gone way up. Utilities, cleaning supplies, maintenance, everything. And of course, we felt that impact here at the church. We felt it in the utilities and everything. And, uh, and we, there, there's been a bit of a trend over the last couple months of in, incoming funds going down 
a bit. So I just say, I ask. I ask and I bring a reminder that we teach and we believe in the biblical teaching of supplying God's house. So many of you I know know it and you've bought into it and you are faithful to it. The basic way the Bible speaks about uh, giving and our financial responsibility to God's house is proportional giving. It's not, you know, fixed amount. It's, it's a percentage. And the Bible speaks of a tenth, right? Uh, a tithe. In the Old Testament, there was, there was three tithes. There were uh, tithes for the Levites, tithes for the temple and the feasts. Uh, and when they came for Pentecost, they were to bring you know, no, a tithe, a tithe for the poor. There was a, a, a tenth then as the principle. And Jesus spoke of tithing too. In the Gospel of Matthew, he took uh, the Pharisees to task because they were hypocritically tithing. They were neglecting compassion. And Jesus, he said, you hypocrites. In fact, you should tithe, but don't do it disingenuously. Have the right heart, have the right attitude. Jesus recognized the, the importance of the tithing principle. And we should too. And again, it's, it's not a fixed amount. It's proportional. It's not a fixed amount that would just be way too much for one person. It'd be everything for them and maybe nothing to another. No, the Bible puts it out as this, the, the idea of proportional giving. And again, with the right heart and attitude, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he said, don't give under compulsion or reluctantly. No, don't. Have the right heart. When your heart's right, when it's, you wouldn't be reluctant, then give. And God loves the cheerful giver. So I just remind you and I ask. But I have a second ask, which I say might even be greater. If you take a look around the room this morning, just look around, what do you see? You see a lot of seats, don't you? Lots of seats. We have room. We have ample space in this sanctuary. And I'm going to ask you this. Would you commit, and I mean commit, with your heart? Would you commit to reaching out to any and to all who need the same salvation you have come to know, the same redemption you've come to know, the same uh, salvation, redemption that you have uh, received from Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's glorious. It's amazing. It's fantastic. You have eternal life. Would you commit to sharing that with other people? Because as I look around the room, I see we have ample space for them. And I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 14. I'll give you sort of the, the, the quick overview of that parable. A certain man planned a great banquet in his house. And he invited many guests. And when the time came for his banquet, all his guests seemed to have excuses. Oh, I can't come. Just bought a piece of property. I got to go inspect it. I can't come. Just got married. I'm going on my honeymoon. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Nobody was coming. So the owner of the house said to his servant, go on out into the, into the streets, in the alleyways, and invite others. Invite the, the hurting. Invite the lame. Invite uh, the blind. Invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Tell them, come on in. I got a great banquet here at the house. And the servant, he left the house, and he did as the owner asked. And now 
I just want to read you the conclusion of this parable. It's in Luke 14, verses 22 to 23. The servant has returned. And he says, sir, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now this parable is not really difficult to understand. The owner of the house is the Lord. And the house is the kingdom. It's his kingdom where he's prepared something beautiful for all whom he's invited. And he's made an open invitation. Ah, but so many make excuses. I can't go. I'm too busy. I got other things. Not interested. So he says to one who's already in the house, And you know that one represents each of us. That one in the house, that servant, that represents each of us. And the Lord of the house says, go on out. Go on out into the streets and into the alleyways. There are people who think they're unworthy to be in this house and to be in this banquet and to be in all that's been prepared. The crippled and the hurting and those who are in pain and the sick. And the servant does that. But there's still more room. And since there's more room, he says, go back out and compel them. Compel them into the house so that my house will be full. We are the kingdom of God on earth. And this kingdom's got room. We have room for others who need the redemption of Jesus Christ. They need to be saved and born again. They are our neighbors. They are our coworkers. They are people we cross paths with every single day. And I want to ask, will you commit to compelling them in? Will you commit to taking them by the hand and saying, you need Jesus Christ. You need his salvation. You need redemption. And if you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. Oh, what did we hear this morning? What did we hear from the prophet of God this morning? A reminder from Ezekiel's word. Can these dry bones live? Are your bones dry? Are they too dry to take someone by the hand and compel them into the house of the Lord? Are they? They're not. They are not. Oh, if we think our bones are dry, they can live. They can live by the power and the presence of the living spirit of God Almighty who has filled us with His spirit, he has. He's filled us with himself. Remember Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit within you. I want to close with this story, a reminder about the spirit within us. I shared this on Wednesday night, and I I just feel like it's worth sharing. It's a story of a man named Ian Thomas. He was a major in uh, the British Army in World War II. He had... As a young man, he was born again. He came to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and he committed his heart to Jesus. And he began to follow him hard. He was an evangelist at heart and he began to talk to people. He was a compeller and he was compelling people and he was witnessing to people and he was telling them about Jesus. And after seven years, he looked at all the things that he had done for Christ And this is his words, I quote him, he said, I saw nothing but dust and noise. 
Major Ian Thomas was relying on himself. And after seven years, though, he said, I sincerely and I genuinely love Jesus Christ. He was relying on himself. And here's the conclusion he came to after seven years. I'm just going to quit. I can't go on doing this evangelizing because I see nothing but noise and dust. Let me share with you what he wrote because he had a great revelation he had this revelation about being self-reliant and turning to being Holy Spirit reliant. He wrote these words, as a young evangelist, my love and enthusiasm for Christ as my Savior kept me very, very busy until out of sheer frustration, I finally came to the point of quitting. That was the turning point which transformed my Christian life. In my despair, I discovered that the Lord Jesus gave himself for me so that risen from the dead, he might give himself to me, the living Holy Spirit. Instead of pleading for help, I began to thank him for all that he wanted to be, sharing his life with me. Every moment of every day, I learned to say, Lord Jesus, I can't. Think about those dry bones. Lord Jesus, I can't. You never said I could, but you can. You can, and you always said you would. That's all I need to know. From that moment, life became the adventure that God always intended it to be. And Major Ian Thomas went on to, to, to just birth this immense ministry, global. He opened schools to train people in the ways of Jesus Christ, just to teach everyday people about Jesus. I learned to say, Lord Jesus, I can't. You never said I could, but you can and you always say you would. That's all I need to know. That, that just encapsulates what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've listened to some of what Major Ian Thomas has said about the Holy Spirit. And without him, we're nothing. That, that vision of the dry bones, maybe that's what we feel like, but we don't need to. We can be compellers. We can be compellers with the Spirit of God in us doing it. Not self-reliant, but Holy Spirit reliant. Now, I want to ask you to commit to that. It's my ask of you today. And as we close our service with communion at the table of the Lord, I just invite you to look internally. As you prepare, prepare your bread Look internally. Our, our, the word of God tells us to look internally. And, and as you're looking, I just want to say this. If you go out and you compel someone in here, I want to make this promise to you. I want to make this pledge to you. And not just myself, but our entire pastoral staff. You know, we have ministries here. We have ministries for the hurting. We have ministries for the addicted. We have ministries for marriages and for families and for youth, students, children, young adults, men, women. And I want to pledge to you this, that in all of those, in all of those ministries, they will always be centered on the word of God and Jesus Christ, period. Our teaching, our preaching, will be centered on the word of God. That, it, it won't be following, 
We will not sway to some social uh, move of the day. We'll never be preaching a political person or a political party, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ. That, if you compel people in to this local church, that's what we're going to be doing. That's what we're all about. And I'm asking you this morning just to consider it. Consider what you're doing to draw people to be used as, as Luke chapter 14 says, to compel them. As you hold your bread. And, I, and I, I want to say our communion's open to all. We just ask that you would not have a little child who can't understand what Christ did in giving of his life. But if you're if you're under the blood of Christ, you've received him as your Savior, of course you're welcome. And I remind you what the Word of God says. It says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember his sacrifice. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood, sacrificial lamb. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. So those are great words for us to honor and respect and look into our own hearts. And as you do that this morning, I pray you'd also just look and consider, have you been too dry? Have you been feeling like you can't do it? For Christ, to, to talk to others, to even compel them. And just reflect on that. Reflect on that as you take a minute or two to examine your heart. And commit. Commit, if you would, to adding to his kingdom. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you. We pray that the discerning move of the Spirit of the living God would impress upon us what we need to talk to you about in our hearts to examine ourselves, and we thank you for that, God. We're grateful. We're grateful for this opportunity 
to look inside and God help us to be committers and compellers. Help us to be people who can truly say, without you we're nothing, you provide everything. That we would say, I will sing of the Lord as long as I live, I'll sing unto the Lord as long as I'm my being. My meditation of him will be sweet. I'll be glad in the Lord and I'll share that with someone and another and another and another and I'll be a compeller. Lord, I just pray. If, I, if our bones are dry, you'd, you'd, you'd breathe the life, the life of the living spirit into them. Lord, you'd add, you'd add your power and, and your encouragement to each one of us. Thank you. Thank you. We ask that blessing before we receive this bread. Thank you, Father. And now hold the bread as we ask a blessing on it. Father, bless this bread unto us, a memorial meal in remembrance of our Savior who broke his body for us and gave his life. God, we receive it with great humbleness and gratitude of heart. This, this bread represents the broken body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And we ask, Lord, you'd bless it unto us. May it be life. Lord, may it add. May it enliven May it bring life to, the, to our bones. We thank you for it. We receive it with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat together. Now raise up your cup as we We bless it. God, Father, as your children, we say thank you for this cup that represents the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the blood of the new covenant. He, he did away with the old ways of self-reliance, of attempting to be perfect and follow your every law. Jesus is our redemption. He's our righteousness. And he spilled his blood to pay for our sin. We thank you for that. The blood that washes away our sin. Oh, our sins, we were condemned, but now no more. No more because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, and bless this cup unto us. May it be a true blessing, true life. We thank you for it. God, we just pray your life blessing unto us as we receive it. We receive it with deep, deep gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. We drink together. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We exalt you. We bless your name. You're our King. You're our Lord. You're our Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. You're awesome. You're holy. You're wonderful. You're worthy to be praised and exalted and magnified. We lift your name on high. Jesus, Jesus. Hosanna in the highest, you're the first, you're the last, you're the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. May your name be praised. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless your holy name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We love you, we exalt you, we praise you, our God and our King, our Lord and our Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus, for bestowing your Holy Spirit upon us. 
and in us. Lord, may we be people who leave here endued with power from on high inside of our hearts by your gift, the gift of the outpouring of the living spirit of God. Thank you for that, Lord God. Any of us here, Lord, if we're, we're struggling, Lord, I just pray we'd be people who'd say, Lord, I can't. Jesus, I can't, but you can. May we be people who say, you can. You in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the spirit of the living God in us, you can. May we be people who say, you can. May we be people who are filled with your spirit and know it and are convinced and our confidence is in you and you alone. You can. You always can. You always will. And help us, God. Bless us. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now, Lord, please, please, please bless your people. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon each one and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes our complete understanding keep every heart and mind and soul through our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Altars are always, always open at the end of a service. If you need prayer, if you want anointing with oil, our elders are here, and you can avail yourself. You don't need to rush out. Have a great, great rest of the day.